0: 2,500 years ago, before Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, the Greek philosopher Heraclitus observed the ever-present state of flux in everything. His philosophy on how everything flows is often paraphrased or misquoted as, the only constant in life is change. On this episode of Jump the Cue. We're exploring transitions. Emma Lowe started out as a cancer researcher in Taipei, Taiwan, moved to Canada, and then discovered what she really liked was interacting with people going through transitions rather than cells going through transitions.
1: I'm Emma originally from Taipei, Taiwan, and I'm First of my, half of my life was a cancer researcher. Beginning, I saw amazing, um, for instance, mouse in a Princeton lab. So that kind of sparked me. How, the, how did we do that? How did science to do that? So that kind of sparks my curiosity in science. And then mm. later in cancer, it's because my family got breast cancer. And that was a really heartbroken experience to go through and just wanted really to help to continue this in this field and finding a cure. One day we'll find a cure for cancer and that was like my big wish. Um, the truth is I don't think anybody has find the exact cure for cancer yet and that's just keep driving me um, to studying cancer research, um, imagine myself of that little drop in the big ocean but hopefully that will make wave later on in my career. Yeah. 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 And then uh, when I, from transition, fly from Taipei to Kingston, Ontario, Canada, was originally for my graduate study, but at that time I had the opportunity to, to, to work in a startup, which is an online auction company, which is business. That's another transition. But what I, what I found is I was of doing as a part-time job, meeting the clients And after speaking to the clients, you hear, you feel that deep pain and where they are. Just to quickly explain whether MaxSoul is an online auction company where help people through that transition stage in life. So the customers, like they are going through this big life changes, but the stuff is getting in the way. So after talking to clients, like that. really desire to help continue to jump out? And how can I help them to move forward faster so they can continue their, their life later on?
0: That's yeah. really fascinating. I I wonder, let's just talk about a, a separate transition. I mean, it's related, but moving from from Taiwan to Canada, that had to be a pretty drastic transition for you what was the hardest part of of that just from a cultural standpoint
1: hi so big city girl into a little country town (laughs) (laughs) is definitely a culture shock um i when i was here it was like wow canadians are so nice because they hold the door for everybody (laughs) And at the grocery store, um, and the cashier is like, oh, how's your day today? Like, how are you doing today? How's your day? And I genuinely thought they were interested in my day. (laughs) So you see this little Some of them
0: might be, some of them might be.
1: You see this little girl rambling with the cashier with a long lineup, waiting after me, (laughs) rambling about my day because I thought it was a genuine conversation.
0: Canadians are very polite. Uh, I think that is definitely a, a stereotype that has a lot of truth associated with it because they they are very polite, and uh, it's kind of funny that uh, you you maybe took that too far from from time to time. So, what did you learn in that transition? that has helped you make these other transitions in your life?
1: Um I, I'm i always curious, like, how to make things better. There must be a better way. There must be a better way in solving, like, this cancer situation, right? How to find a better, faster, or more personalized drug. That was my study. Mm-hmm. And in the case of the online auction com- part, is how can I make the transition simpler or easier? So there must be a better way to sell items. There must be a better way to to um, help clients, etc. And for me, the transition it's always um, open. Be open minded. Yeah, and really listening and always have that good intention in other people mm-hmm. and always being curious what made them to make the decision or kind of just want to see a little bit deeply of what the intention where they're coming from I think that's a universally language it doesn't matter where you come from Um, that last company I spent a I think it was a good 11 years and it's I feel it's a time to grow, to try something different and always been free interest in other areas or other startup businesses. Like how do we start, um, going from zero again? And I love in the last year, I've been very grateful to be, um, that's when I started posting on LinkedIn again mm-hmm. and really open to the idea of community. And that's when you build the connections, you build a community um, from different discipline. My friend, um, know people across from another um, countries, all these great conversations really bring out like the innovation, the curiosity, the, um, the different discipline, like you can see that intersection of um, how you can grow again. So that kind of feel like I it's time to start a new journey and just also kind of also has a time to kind of um pause and really focus on self again and then start up. That's where I am right now. Um, and now I have my own consulting company, which is helping local businesses how to scale up or... But I always remember customers front. So really want to like challenge them. Like, how do you put the customer needs in front? How do we make sure that our business is running around the customers and really, um, yeah, not just only making profits, but really serving what, you're com- what you set this product or service for.
0: Next, we talk to Tino Engel in Germany, who's transitioned from being a professional poker player to becoming a management trainer who uses poker to explore making choices and dealing with uncertainty in business and life.
2: Um, I mean, first of all, I, I felt like when you said, like the career, it's always interesting, right? Reframing or thinking about what is a career. Sometimes it's just like uh, a variety of, of different stations that add up at one point, right? And you look back and say, oh, hey, well, that was an interesting career. Um, Many, many of those things I don't want to say just happened, but it definitely wasn't planned. Let's put it this way. So I, back in the days, originally uh, nearby and in time I studied sociology with a minor in psychology, which I really enjoyed. Um, after spending amazing, I think, eight weeks in economics, um, and then I changed it, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. Had great debates, and I stopped enjoying it when I finished university. Because being, in a sense, a social scientist, <laughs> trying to make jump into a job. I, I will never forget this. In the final phase, there was a lady um, coming from 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 an institution of the government that is taking care of that kids, in a sense, hopefully get a job. Like, like in German language, we call it the Arbeitslosenamt, right? So she showed up, giving us as some final tips to how land a job, how to a job. And I will never forget this. In a sense, what she said is like, get amazing final grades. Okay, yeah, I saw that coming. Um, Speak four languages. That's always a benefit in the job market um, and uh, be flexible, ready to travel everywhere. So she went on with this list and I felt like, this is not really helpful. right? I can't check mark four <laughs> languages. I can't do this. I couldn't do that. And then I jumped into the job market. I had like, like uh, in a sense, an unpaid job for like two months where they were testing me and I was sitting there at one point. I was really, It was not what I was looking for because I was sitting in a room without a window just evaluating um, um, all the, the theoretical tests you had to do if you want to get your driver's license in Germany, right? Because I realized, well, we're testing people and then they get the driver's license and at one point they crash, right? So maybe there are some logical flaws in there that we want to um, solve uh, right from the get go. And that was my job. And at the same time, I met, uh, I went to a party with some friends on Saturday. And the uh, party was crap, even with alcohol. And when I was ready to leave, I mean, that seriously is a sign it was really bad. <laughs> and I saw some guys sitting in the corner having fun. And I went over and it turned out they were playing a card game. And I'm coming from a family. We never really played board games at all. Um, but I heard, heard about poker a little bit. And they said, well, you can join if you want to. And I had to pair, I don't know, like a couple of back in the days, D-Mark, Deutschmark. Um, it was even before Euro? no, was even, no, after. Um, Anyway, so I paid like, I don't know, five euros or something. It was quick money for them. And I really loved it from from the get go. I was bombarding them with questions because I found it really interesting. I can't really tell you why, but I will never forget how they told me when I left. And by the way, you can play it online for money. That that (laughs) sounds interesting, man. (laughs) Playing a game online, making money. I mean, not just for money, but the idea like um, earning money the playful way. With something that you enjoy, I found it quite interesting. And so, 24 hours later, I signed up for my first online account. Um, called my mom, got a credit card the first time. <laughs> um, she trusted me, and I said, you, "You get it back." And of course, she got back the money um, later on because I had to borrow some some money again, like just 50 euros, something like this. And um, yeah, that was was my way of getting into poker. And uh, funnily, looking back, all to all through, um, towards economics, my first. Um, my first experience in university, I was complaining that it was all about mass, It was boring and it was not about like looking at the big scale and international politics and everything. I suddenly found myself loving it, loving game theory, loving strategy, loving um, crunching the numbers and doing something where I knew the better I get, the higher the chances are that I can make some money. And in the beginning, I was just playing for cent. Let's face it, I didn't have that much money. And then step by step, the first small parts, like, I don't know, 10 cents. one point it was 1 euro, then it was 1.5 euros. And over time it became more than just a hobby, a passion. And then I decided to stop applying for jobs and to pause the applying for jobs phase for one year. That was my, my uh, agreement with my wife um, at this point. And yeah, uh, it turned out to be five years, six years that I did it professionally. So that that was a big plan behind it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it fascinates me that skills that you think are very disparate, right? Sociology, uh, studying human behavior and economics, money theory and and understanding how markets work. And also, to some extent, how people behave came together for you as skills that were indispensable in poker.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, and interestingly, I don't know, maybe it's also because I was always very strong with planning, so I really, I was never a big fan of uncertainty for a couple of also private reasons. When I grew up, there were certain elements of uncertainty in my family that I really didn't enjoy very much. Um, So I always was looking forward and planning a couple of steps ahead. Uh, And then suddenly looking back, it's ironically maybe I found myself in situations where I had to deal with the thing that I, w- I felt I wasn't strong at, making choices and mm. dealing with uncertainty, right? Because mm-hmm. you never know. Do I even have an edge in the game? Um, or like like very specific things like I don't know the next card. I don't know how this session will end. It could be a winning session. It could be a losing session. It leaves a lot of question marks in your mind. Am I good enough? A lot of room for self doubts, right? You have to fill in the gaps. Um, And and in a sense, build your own story. You have to fill in the gaps, right? Because you can lose, even if you're good at the game, you can lose for days, for weeks, for months, right? And then keep in mind, you have the people around you who have no connection to poker, who just look at poker and say, that's all about gambling. How can you even make money with with, with gambling? And I said, well, you're right, it can be gambling. So can life be gambling. And this maybe is also like what links it back to society, which I always found interesting. I see so much gambling going on in society and politics mm-hmm. where I feel mm-hmm. like, man, um, maybe there's something you can learn also from poker, how not to gamble or gamble in an educated way. Let's put it this way, because you will do it anyway.
0: Yeah, and that speaks to the next transition that I want to talk to you about because you took a lot of those skills and observations Things that you learned in the poker world, being a professional gambler and transitioned into doing something, I don't want to say entirely different, but definitely different for you. Tell me about when you decided to say, well, I'm I'm not going to be a professional poker player anymore, but I'm going to do something with those skills.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So there are a couple of things that came together. The first is, um, I mean, my son was already born and I I kept playing like for three years. Um, That's why I was very thankful that we had the Internet, so I didn't have to travel. So I could combine both worlds, which um, I also learned to appreciate a lot. Um, When I read like these days about people taking like two weeks or fathers, two weeks, four weeks off from the job or two months. Awesome. As I read, I I had him every day the first year, right? Because um, I was at home and could really bring all those things together. and What was very clear was that we wanted to have a second child. And at the same time, the opportunity costs, I would say, got bigger and bigger. And by the beginning of 2015, it was very clear to me the market. I mean, poker was a highly competitive environment and it was developing rapidly. Um, So the edges were getting smaller, unless you are really willing to put in the effort um, on 24-7 with game series, with databases analysis. Um, It got very, very technical as well. And it was very energy draining. Um, which is not a big surprise because poker, like it or not, um, winning and losing happens every day, right? And it's very hard to digest for the, for the brain, all those sometimes small losses over and over again, um, which makes it also a great playing field to train those skills dealing with losses, specifically winning is easy. Everybody can deal with winnings at least unless it's too much too quickly. Um. But it was very energy draining, Um, and then I said, okay, what about the future, right? Um, I had the plan of playing poker as a side business, so to speak. That was my idea, like a compromise, and get a job next to it. And to me, it was very clear, I wanted to get into the teaching because I really enjoyed doing it. And the first logical point, the logical step was, I got more and more requests from people who asked me, hey, could, could you coach me or could you do some stuff because you're very good with the technicalities and, and, and analyzing the game. Um, and then I started doing some work for some higher stakes players, right, who were playing higher and they said, well, we outsource some of the stuff. We don't like to do it, but we would love you to do it. Um, and it was interesting because I still could enjoy the game without having to play it necessarily and having all the pressure myself. Mm. And that's how I got into teaching step by step. and. Um, um, I came up with a plan. Okay, if I want to become a trainer and business, um, what do I need? I need communication skills, right? I need to have an idea how to build a business, right? And then I signed up for those courses. Um, that was again me planning those things. Um, well, at the same time, it was quite challenging because I felt I had outgrown the traditional path, right? Uh, all of my friends went into a career or had a job. Um, that was far away from what I was doing. I was like, from that point of view, an outsider. Um, I had one or two poker friends here in Germany, the rest was uh, like, like living in, in other countries, sometimes even out of uh, Europe. Um, and yeah, then I, it wasn't planned when I joined like a communication club, Toastmasters, you might have heard about it, this public uh, nonprofit, public speaking um, organization. I met a lady from Great Britain here in Berlin, that knew some guys that were using poker as a basis of management trainings in Hungary. And she connected us because they were coming from a management background, being passionate poker players. And I said, well, that's, that's pretty cool. You have what I don't have. the business background. Um, we we like using the game, uh, not just for playing the game, but using it for higher purposes at one point. Um, and then we met. And um, yeah, so they, I met with the guys from a company called Action Lab. We set together and the idea was born to bring it to Germany so that uh, was my journey like for two years uh, and suddenly I found myself being a business <laughs> talking to people <laughs> from the corporate world uh, I had no no uh, button up or shirt or anything like this I had no suit so I, again me planning I ran to a guy who had the profession of advising people how to dress because I said I want to save time I went to him we went shopping I said I need a b c d uh, he gave me good advice and then that was me studying business, pitching training programs to HR, right? And it was, you know, what, what I found really interesting was to me, they all had a great career, right? So I found myself sitting at the desk of, I will never forget one lady. And, um, it, it was fascinating. She said, yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about you, introduce yourself a little bit, so we got into the chit chat and tell me about your background. That's what she asked me and I gave you a rough very short version of what I've told you here, yeah. and she said, Martino, your background, your biography, it's so exciting. And I said, what? I said, it, it, it sounds more like an accident from many different <laughs> angles. And she was really, and for her, being in the corporate world, it was just ordinary stuff. And and then she gave me her bio, right? Um, and said she studied, I don't know, in Shanghai, she did this. And wow, that's fascinating to me, but it was interesting. It's all a matter mm-hmm. of what you know, known, right? What you know and what you're used to, and suddenly, as the saying goes, the grass on the other side is always looking greener. Um, th- th- I don't know. That's for them. It was quite interesting because hey, you have played poker for a living. I said, yeah, I had to, and and I loved it. And here I am trying to do something different now. Yeah, and maybe not that different, but a little bit at least.
0: Yeah, a little bit. It's. I think the fascinating part to me, and and you kind of alluded to this, is the. Combination of preparation and planning with chance, yeah, that takes us in a particular direction, and and the, and poker is very much like that, right? But life is also yeah. very much like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say I think the planning is also even, even or specifically in an environment where you have so much change, like poker or life, where you even have more change. Um, I wouldn't, I don't advise like over planning, but having a plan because I have experienced firsthand again and again, how much you deviate between what you think you will do in a certain situation. And then when the pressure is high, you do the opposite. And then you look (laughs) back and say, man, I'm such an idiot. My plan was if this person comes along with a race at the poker table, I'm out. I I fold my cards, I'm done. What happened? You place a bet, say, raise it up and you without thinking you just boom, click, call, and you pay them off and you feel like an idiot because you saw it coming. So have a plan um, for the situations where, you know, it can get emotional or mm. I can, can get surprised when you go into negotiation not, or when I'm talking about training programs to, to companies. Have a have a, at least a decent plan and not try to figure it out on the spot, which some people think, oh, that's I improvise everything I do. And yeah. I say, well, your brain is. You, you, you can improvise if you have done it again and again if you're really good at improvising but then you can save the time for planning because you have done it so many times mm-hmm. then you can start trusting your instinct more and more but besides that i think um planning a little bit is helpful right
0: yeah yeah that's great advice finally i talk with an old colleague michael hanks who discusses keys to leading people he learned and utilized through multiple career transitions.
3: Yeah, I will tell you the first thing that, that comes to mind is just understanding that we are a people ran business. When you work in any, any role or position, you're more than likely, unless you're an individual contributor, you're gonna have people that you support directly in some way, shape or form. And I know it's, it's easy to say this, but relationships truly are everything being able to meet people where they are, being able to help them understand what success looks like in the role that they're in, and getting people like naturally, genuinely inspired about the work they do and how they contribute and make an impact within the team and the organization they support. I think it's so important no matter what your role is, whether your risk, whether your customer support, people leadership is people leadership, and that translates anywhere. And so that was something that I learned very early on, especially as a young leader. You know, when you're, when you're moving into a leadership role at 19 years old and you have folks reporting to you who are 20 years your senior, you know, you have a responsibility to, to earn their respect and build that relationship and let them know that, you know, you're there for a reason. And it's not just to manage them, but it's to support them, that you can add value to what they do, and you can assist them. And even though they have a lot more wisdom per se and experience, but you have a certain skill set that you can offer to enhance where they are today. And I think that's important, is just understanding like who people are, meet them where they are, build that relationship, create that type of environment where you can have open and honest and, and trusting communication, and then challenge each other to be better. And make sure that that feedback is going both ways. And I think that's sometimes lost upon us a little bit, right? It's like you have this hierarchy and the feedback is to go straight down that hierarchy. In all honesty, I will tell you, even today, 80% of the feedback I get is from people that I support directly. And that has always been the most impactful feedback that I've received. Because if anyone knows where I'm doing well and where I'm falling short, it's the people who have to deal with me on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) So there's just huge value in that. So I'll sum that up by saying relationships. Don't overlook it. They're incredibly important. Um, the second piece I, I will say is you know, making sure that you have a plan. And again, that is translatable to, to any type of role you're in. But having a plan, having a vision. People won't really want to be, and I want to be, a part of a team and organization where I know where we're going. I know what we're trying to accomplish. I know how I contribute to those goals. And I know what my leader is thinking about on a regular basis and how they define success and how our organization is defining success. So no matter what role you're in, make sure you're, I'm always making sure that I'm very clear on what my vision is, what the goals of the organization are, how we're progressing against those goals. And also being very honest and showing some humility and saying, we're falling short we're falling short and let's be comfortable talking about that as well. You know, so I think those are two very, very important pieces among a lot of other things that are always very top of mind for me um, when I'm thinking about leading teams and contributing to an organization.
0: You know, you talked about something that I want to dive into a little bit deeper and that is really those relationships. And I think we see this a lot in Contact centers, but it's not relegated to contact centers. And that is when you're leading people that are, there's a significant age gap and you're younger. Can you talk to me about kind of your first experience with that? Maybe how you approach that, what you learned along the way, and maybe how you changed your approach uh, going forward? So that you were most successful when you were in that situation.
3: Yeah, it's amazing that you have, you know, throughout your career, throughout your 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 work journey, you have different experiences that stand out. And I can tell you, I remember the individual's name, one of the first person that I met <laughs> struggles with. Um, I can see their face right now. Um, I stubbed my toe very early on in my career. And my ability to manage folks who had different perspectives and personalities and, and maybe didn't, didn't have the same, like, competitive nature that I had, you know, um, I struggled leading those folks in, in my first couple years. And that's because, in honesty, I, I kind of wore this badge of honor of, like, if you're not doing it my way, then you're not doing it the correct way. Um And so I did, I I really am a firm believer that like you, you do have to fail to continue to learn and grow and develop as a person, as a leader. And I've had a lot of failures along the way, there's no doubt about it. And that's one of them. So when I think about the approach, um, you know, I would tell you, I entered into a reporting relationship uh, very early on with someone who was twice my age. Um, And, you know, I, I didn't even recognize that. And I think that's important too, is, Oh, when you're working with individuals who have a lot of experience, like there should, in my opinion, should be a natural respect and appreciation of what someone has learned along that journey. Like That's what I would hope I'd get today as someone yes.
0: who, you <laughs> know,
3: a little bit older as well in managing folks is, you know, that I've had a lot of experience along the way that have helped me become the person I am, the leader that I am, have the character that I am, the wisdom that I have, the better decision-making that I have. Um, and... I really believed early on that to lead people, you just do it one way and everyone should follow that way and everything will be great. In my early conversations with this individual, it it wasn't, it wasn't great, you know, and they, I found in my, in the moment I thought that they were incredibly defensive and not open to talking to me. And I made assumptions around why that could be. And the relationship was just very troubling early on. And you know, I, I will tell you, I had to get feedback from different individuals about how to approach the situation and understand. And a lot of that feedback was just get real, like be honest, you know, be comfortable having the conversation, be comfortable saying how you feel and where you're at. And I remember sitting in the fishbowl, which I know you're familiar with <laughs> uh, at, at and and having that very real conversation, just raw, real conversation. With the individual saying, like, "Hey, here's the way that I feel, you know, and I feel like sometimes I feel a little bit judged because of my age or maybe my experience." Um, and we we had that conversation, and in all honesty, they felt the exact same way, but from a different perspective, mm-hmm. you know, like, "Hey, I feel like that you don't recognize the fact that I've been doing this for 20 years and I know what I'm doing," you know, yeah. Um, But it was that real conversation again i won't kind of carry that on too much further but you know from that moment we at least had a good understanding of where we were and i will tell you that individual became an amazing employee eventually a manager um and a lot of that i i just go back to the fact that we we built a strong relationship foundationally that day you know by just being honest and being very real and you know once we kind of understood where we were coming from we weren't as defensive We are very much more open to talk, you know, and we even joked a little bit, you know, at times. And so I think at the end of the day, it's just, again, it goes back to like, you need to meet people where they are and understand who they are and their experiences. And as a leader, there's no one way to lead. You have to be able to adapt your leadership style and your communication, your approach to the audience of the individuals that you're talking to. And that was a lesson I learned not only that day, but I continued to learn
0: Other days. Next in queue is brought to you by Happy To and is produced by me, Rob Dwyer. If you enjoy this podcast, please by all means subscribe and or rate this podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. But more importantly, please tell just one person about this podcast. Word of mouth is the best way for people to discover new content.